97.5 Glory FM, your radio station for North Georgia Gospel. It's five minutes past nine o'clock in time once again for Community Focus, our public affairs program. And this morning we have a special treat for you as in the house with us live at our studios here is Emory Dunahoo Jr., representative to the Georgia General Assembly. Join me this morning. Good to see you, friend. Good to see you, my friend. It's happy been a New while. Year. You know, yeah. Happy New Year to you. It seems the older we get, uh, the faster they come. Yes, it sure does. <laughs> That's the point. So, Emory, last night at North Hallway Broadcasting, a high school basketball game, his grandson plays in the JV team and got a chance to, to talk and get things lined up for this morning. So I was glad he was able to make it into his schedule. Because you start the new General Assembly session coming up on Monday. That is correct. And it, it that's another thing. It seems like about every other week we're back in session. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's one of the things that comes. We have quite a few things we will be working on. And, uh, of course, Last year was where I had 91% of a new district in Jackson County, Jefferson, Talmo, Pendergrass, and Houston, and the Brazelton area. So I still have Hall County, but it was uh, a little bit, a little bit of time getting to know more people, and you know that's been a good thing. I've met a lot of people. I, I'm working on uh, legislation for Jackson County this year on uh, a bill that basically will do a senior exemption on taxes and will help them. So that's one of the big things that we're trying to accomplish. It had been 30 years since they've had anything done on their tax uh, for seniors. So they're pretty excited about that, and I am also. You've become close to being a senior from that standpoint. So first thing first, all right, it's going to be an election year this year. So what are you going to declare for? You know, I'm, I think I'm going to pretty much do one more term. So this year coming up, um, I basically will have this year, and we'll have to qualify in March. And with that, uh, I think as long as the Lord keeps me in that uh, mode of thinking, that I'm I'm doing one more term and then I'm done. I uh, I miss a lot of the things, missing my grandkids, play ball, grow up. And it every day, I'm somewhere meeting with someone, and people think that session lasts basically three months, and it does. And it's a 40-hour work week after session, and uh, this is 13th year coming up, so I think I've been there long enough. All right. So with that, you had a special session just last month. And yes, sir. Tell us about that and about the results of that session. You know, we came in trying to be positive, and, and Mike, you know you've done this long enough, that if the Republicans are in control, you're going to try to have a little bit of home cooking to help you out. Just like in when the Democrats are in control, they have a whole lot of home cooking to help them out. And when I say that, my colleagues across the aisle, most of us, we break bread together. We're great friends. We agree to disagree on just a few bills, but we go along and, and we do vote together on a lot of the things that's good for Georgia. And what happened was we had a judge that basically said that we had to look at changing certain areas for people of color. And with that, it was fine. We said, well, after a hundred lawsuits, one or two lawsuits finally made it through to where that judge felt that we needed to do something. And we took it seriously. Uh, our representative basically that carried it, uh, done an 
excellent job, Rob Lebert. And we, you know, we had uh, Tyson, Brian Tyson is kind of the guy, the guru that is the attorney that helped us put everything together. We listen continuously to the other side. And when we drew the maps out and we met several times, the Democrats never came back with a map. And then finally, when they came back with a map, what happened was they were trying to put three of our chairmen in one group to run against each other, and in another group, two more chairmen to run against each other, and another one, two more. And we thought, now, that was a little bit much. But we went ahead. We dropped the bills. They would, every day, complain two hours of their time of uh, discussion. And then we also decided that we were going to have them come on record of if they stood with Israel or Hamas. And they would take two hours of how we were putting them on the spot and how they shouldn't have to choose. Uh, and, you know, we, we spent time also on the uh, training center in Atlanta to get them on record. So we spent a lot of time on other things of hearing uh, some of our constitutional officers on the budget when we had some extra time there. So we actually made it productive. We had committees that met on certain things that we will be meeting about starting, you know, next week when we come in session. And uh, then the judge came along and said, you know, we did a pretty good job, and he agreed with it. So we felt like, well, finally, uh, here we are. We can move on. And with that, too, that was just to redistrict the U.S. House districts, right? Well, House district and our local districts for the state. And the reason the local districts, we had certain areas that he felt we did not have enough people of color, as they say, to to, to have a 65%. Uh, they were too close. And with that, they wanted us to change some lines. So when we did at the state level... We changed lines that will actually put two of our colleagues together, and they'll have to either run against each other. That's David Knight and Beth Camp. Um, we have another lady, um, Kimberly New, who is new. This will be her second year. She'll go from about a 61% to roughly a, about a 48% conservative um, area to, you know, a 58% roughly what you would say a Democrat area. So there's, you know, we hurt our own a little bit to try to work it out fairly. Then in the uh, congressional uh, U.S., we brought Rich McCormick over into Hall County more where he'll cover up to Oakwood and he'll cover in the Flowery Branch, Lanier Islands, and that area. Right. So the question is about that is that when you, in a sense, dilute Hall County in, instead of one county into the ninth District, now you've got two different districts. How is that going to affect the constituents here? Because they say, okay, if you don't have all of Hall County, which is the largest county, was in the ninth District, how is that going to really serve the people here in Hall County? Well, and we, you know... Representative Hawkins had a question on that, and we all met. And when we looked at it, it was pretty much to where we, we thought, well, if we back out and move McCormick over more, uh, we were putting him back in a district 
that was going to be even harder for him, and mm-hmm. we kept Andrew Clyde up here to where he wasn't even representing his home area. So the way we looked at it was two years ago, before they changed a lot of this, my district, his district, he now will go back and he will still represent Hall, uh, the largest part of Hall, but he will represent his area where he lives. McCormick will come in and I do this just to give you my perception here. I call Rich McCormick's office. I deal with people not in my district all the time that their representative or their senator will never helps them on anything. And when that happens, I call to help. That means I deal with Mike Collins and his office. I deal with uh, Rich McCormick and his office. I also deal with uh, Andrew Clyde. So with saying that, it helps me because, you know, there's a lot of times I have them jump on certain things and they solve that problem very quickly to where, you know, one person is good but to me, three people's better. I can continuously have someone paying attention that can help me connect and help the constituents who I serve. Good point. Our guest this morning on Community Focus is Representative Emory Donahue, Jr. And tell everybody again about your numbers. That changed at all? What is district you serve? It, it does. I In Hall County, I had for 12 years, actually 11 years plus, um, had Flowery Branch. I came into Gainesville. Flyer Branch, Oakwood, down toward Rest Haven, Lanier Islands. And uh, a year ago, I lost 91% of that district and picked up Talmo, Pendergrass, Jefferson, and Brazelton, Houston. Now, that's a half of Brazelton and a half of Houston. And with that, um, people tried to turn it around to say I was being punished. And, you know, I did not take that bait. I just decided that I was going to make new friends. But you were though, right? Uh, that that very much could be could be a true statement, but I couldn't say I had 100% of the, uh-huh. the facts to make it that. So I just went and met new people, made new friends, and ran a campaign very, very aggressively and won. So the people wanted me there, and I'm, I'm blessed to serve Jackson and Hall, but it keeps my schedule even busier than it was before. Yeah, because you got a, a big district, at least geographically, from that standpoint. What's, what's the number this year when people go to vote? When they go, there's 82,000 people roughly in Jackson County. I have probably about 60 coming into that part, not counting the total part of Hall, I probably have. 60,000 okay, of but, those. But it's House District what? House District 31. Gotcha. Make sure we get that right from that, that standpoint. All right, so the General Assembly starts meeting on Monday, 40 days, 40 nights, supposedly. So what's the big issue for you? Well, we're going to have, of course, mental health is going to come back, and that bill was a terrible bill when it came out a few years ago with everything that we had in it. The Senate actually worked on it, made it better. Uh, Speaker Ralston, that was his bill. And he wasn't too happy that we were trying to change things. But, you know, it was going to work out. And then the sad thing, you know, Speaker Austin passed. And mm-hmm. our new speaker is a very good friend, John Burns, uh, a very easy-to-get-to-know guy. And uh, we went ahead and we started correcting a lot of 520 and the mental health bill. And this year we're, we're going to be working on that more 
to uh, try to take out some of the things about transgender medicine, transgender where forms of insurance would have to pay for this. Just to, to, to show you another part was you can have a committee or a group that can decide that you're mentally unstable. And I tell people all the time, we had a perfect place. It was called Milledgeville. But a handful of people thought it was not the right place and thought it was an evil place. And we did away with Milledgeville, and now you have most of these people that are walking the streets homeless, uh-huh. and they have problems. I hope we will come back and put money into a facility like Milledgeville in South Georgia and North Georgia, just make it smaller. That way we'll have a place for people to go that can be treated, released, or be treated and have a home. And, you know, a lot of people will agree. A lot of people might not agree with me, but that's what I'm hoping we will work out um, and move forward. We'll also, I have a, a, a pro-life bill that I dropped last year. It's called the Equal Protection Act. And if we look at God's Word, I tell people all the time, do you believe God's Word contains truth? And a lot of people say, yes, it does. And I let them know, no, it doesn't. It is truth. And the key word is it is truth. So if we believe that in God's Word, it says life starts at conception. Well, that's all this bill does. It says life starts at conception, and it is murder if you abort a child. Well, we hear the argument, what about the life of the mother? 0.0.1% have we ever used that to save a mother's life. And what about rape and incest? What did this unborn child do to merit death? because of the sins of other people. So we have thousands of people that are coming forward to adopt these children. If people decide that they're going to have a child instead of uh, murdering that child, uh, that infant that we're the unborn that needs the protection of basically us as lawmakers to, to say enough's enough. And a lot of the concern is, well, you're charging a female for murder. Every case will stand stand upon himself. And when I say that, that means the DAs, prosecutors, solicitors I have met with, each one of them said that, no, it wouldn't be to where it would be treated like murder. The evidence would bring what would be treated as first degree, second degree, uh, what type of uh, crime it would be. And the other question would be doctors, right? Right. But, no, doctors would be... Um, to where they would have a little bit more leeway, but they would be held accountable of the decisions they make. It would be to where they would, if they came in and they really felt there are uh, places that are in the bill that will allow discretion there for that doctor who has to deal with life and death many days in the emergency room or wherever that will have the opportunity to to bring forth evidence that this is needed and he'll, he or she will have to back that evidence because they can't just every day and every week have the same evidence coming up saying that they uh, they had to abort because of this or abort because of that. All right, let's talk, let's talk health care this morning with uh, Representative Emory Dunahoo, Jr. 
with House District 31. All right, let's talk about this from the standpoint. You know, the first question is, what about the Hippocratic Oath? Because we talk about doctors who are fighting for life every day in an ER, in an urgent care, wherever it may be. Then at the same time, they're going to an operating room and they'll kill a baby. Oh, I agree. It's, it's kind of like it's double standards that I tell people. We're, we're having a lady who is pregnant, and she is murdered, and the baby dies. Mm-hmm. Now they're trying them for two deaths. So why do we say, wait a minute, that unborn is a life, but then on the other part, if she chooses to murder that child just because of convenience or whatever, why do we just say she has that right when the child has no right. My point's and, always been for years of vehicular homicide. Right. That's right. Same thing. If you're you know, driving on the road and you have an accident and kill a woman and her unborn baby, is that's what they say is an unborn child, and, and you get two counts against you from that standpoint. But, you know, again, it's funny. That's the double standard uh-huh. that we have a, we tolerated, we have allowed here in the country, uh, the USA, everyone looks at it like now – and we're having more and more people saying, well, I do not want um, a lady not to have the choice. And we're like, well, I'm like, well, but we had a choice, and we become pregnant. Uh-huh. And there's always a chance because God gave us a method of becoming pregnant and having children to multiply, and we have just made it recreational. And here's the unborn that suffers. Uh, and it doesn't suffer with an injury. It suffers with being murdered. Uh, what's the chances of this bill passing? Uh, probably not strong. It's sitting in uh, Chairman Sharon Cooper's uh, committee. I would love to get it over to Chairman Hawkins' committee, and uh-huh. we're going to work on that, um, and we're going to try to at least have a hearing. Now, hopefully that will happen, and we just ask everybody in the audience, please pray that, you know, when I dropped the bill, it was people would come up to me and say, wow, that's a pretty strong bill. Don't you think it goes a little too far? I said, well, you know, God put this in my heart. And when a group of people flew from Arizona, Jeff Durbin, and a whole bunch of people from Utah and Texas, and we met, their pathway was if we believe God's word is true, then why would we not give him the opportunity to step up and say, you do it, and I will show you what can be done and that's the attitude that i have taken and of course you know we have to remember our lord and savior does not push a button and tell us what we have to do he gives us a choice and that's why we have a choice to accept him or not accept him and sometimes when we pray you know there's a reason things aren't answered and there are reasons they are answered and it's further down the road that we see it so it's, it's something I'm hoping will happen, and that's kind of why the other two years, that if I hang around for the other two years, is to see a few things come through with the new speaker and new leadership. Uh, with As we talk health care with uh, Representative Amber Dunn, who I know one thing that's really close to you is certificate of need. Where are we at with that? Well, CON, I think we're going to see a larger part of that disappear. And when I say that, I'm kind of, you know, COT came out years ago, and it was to where uh, it had good things in it, and they kept expounding on it with bad things. Um, I believe competition is great. I believe that, 
you know, people really do not realize that when COVID came, we had over 36,000 elective surgeries that didn't happen because there was no place to go. Mm-hmm. And now with these standalone surgery centers and some of the other places that you can go and have surgery, uh, I think our people have a better opportunity for, for getting these elective surgeries handled instead of just people were dying because they could not have surgeries because the hospitals were shut down with COVID. But you hear the argument with people coming from outside the state of Georgia and setting up these units and they're not to the standards of our medical facilities we have now. And I do. And I hear, you know, I hear that. And I do say that we have to look at, we have to look at that there may maybe be one bad actor or there's two bad actors. And if they are, we need to make sure that they do things by what we've set up for everybody. Um, you know, with CON, we, you couldn't build within 35 miles of each other. Uh-huh. We've shortened that to where we can, you know, compete. We had, uh, Cancer Centers of America came in, and you had the commercials you would watch on TV that, mm-hmm. oh, you can't eat that in this restaurant because you didn't do this or that. And we, we actually made them come up and take a little more indigent care. And um, they weren't taking it like we were at Northside at uh, Northeast Georgia. But... Um, now I think they've gone to the city of hope. Their change, and with it, I've I've many friends. Uh, Mike Green, you know, and I know, was, yes, his life has been uh, saved saved because basically of that care. And I've watched several of my other friends that extended their life with cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, told they would have three months to live and live four years. Yes. And you know, I've seen that. So with seeing it, I have to say uh-huh. that there was a lot of good within what they do there. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about that. All right. So when we talk about the word COVID, you mentioned it's coming back from the standpoint we're seeing what the st- state agencies want to say about what we have to do. Where does that line draw of what the state, the, the government can do when it comes to our health care? Well, we passed a bill that says that, you know, basically you do not have a vaccine, that you have to take a vaccine. You do not have to wear a mask. Uh, and we passed, when we kept Georgia open, a lot of people didn't realize that, you know, I have to give Governor Kemp kudos and, you know, our Attorney General, uh, Chris Carr, came in and we challenged, and I challenged our hospitals. I told them you cannot, because of a older man that, lives in his basement making decisions that everyone in our military, everyone at the hospitals have to have a vaccine, mm-hmm. that was unconstitutional. Timmy Barr and I signed and went to uh, talk about this, and I took up with the hospital and told uh, our leaders there that you cannot keep forcing people to take a vaccine. And the uh, governor and uh, Chris Carr had a lawsuit and with that happening, uh, the superior—I mean, the Supreme Court judge said that ruled on it. It was unconstitutional, and then we said that you do not have to vaccinate your kids. That you do not have to tell your kids when they go to school. There's different standards there, and uh, you know we've held pretty true to that. So it's it's where you have a choice here. And it's just like when you walk up to Mike, there's a little more information that I should share. But when you walk up to any building there that says there's no weapons allowed, 
as a law-abiding citizen by the Constitution, our Second Amendment right is I have the right to carry, protect myself, my family, and if bad breaks out, you want me there. Uh-huh. It's the same thing that we we seem like we're bullied by a certain establishment. They'll tell you, you can't do this, you can't do that. When I walk in to go to the doctor, I'm going to pay to see that doctor. Just because they hand me a mask doesn't mean I have to wear that mask because that mask does very little to protect you. Right, so, thank you very much. So where is that, that line drawn where we've had certain hospitals you go to, that I go to, that say you can't have surgery until you get the shot? Well, then that that's the reason we're having more and more surgery centers, and uh, these hospitals have taken a back step. And, and our main one's here local. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we look at facts, we have so much good here that we can say Northeast Georgia does for all the communities. But we also have had a dictatorship every once in a while that has come in and said because of a certain group of people that COVID was a souped-up coal on steroids, and we we let it control so much because there was so much money made if there was COVID that was put on a piece of paper. And what we have is the right to still have surgery because, Georgia, we did pass a law that you did not have to take that vaccine, and you could not be denied basically to go in for surgery. So where's the company you as representative when it comes to budgeting certain organizations in the state of Georgia that we've all known in, over the past years? You know what? I uh, and <laughs> my good friend Lee, and we have a great delegation. He was carrying a bill that uh, was trying to get the state to put more money in to help find nurses. Well, if we hadn't ran all the other nurses off by mandatory vaccines, we wouldn't have had that problem. So the way I looked at it and asked questions in committee about that is, how do we make bad decisions? And then we come and ask the state and the taxpayer to pay for those decisions. And it's time that we stop taking this woke attitude of, well, we're going to do it our way, and that's always the small percentage that thinks they should win. We're past time. You can stay a few more minutes. I know you were busy. Sure, yes, yes. Well, yes. I appreciate it very much. We're talking to Emory Dunna, who this morning community focused on our public affairs program on 97.5 Glory FM. We'll have this program recorded later on and available on our website that you can go online on demand and hear our conversation uh, with Emory, and we'll look forward to hearing that later on. This is, of course, live here on 97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. So how about other bills that that are important to us here locally that you'll see coming in January? You know, uh, we have a bill that we're looking at that Representative Hawkins has worked on a tax bill that will mm-hmm. basically look at property taxes where you cannot increase more than 3%. Um, and our county commissioners really didn't like that. They were wanting it to to be higher. But, you know, these are my friends. Uh, commissioners are. Uh-huh. I do not always agree with everything somebody, as you know, wants. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe that we have more people looking at from constituents that need to be protected because they have a budget. The same way in Jackson County, the uh, concept that I have on a tax senior tax bill that I will drop, it had been 30 years that you, on your house, you could have $10,000 basically assessment if you were 
under 65. So 62 to 65, you had $10,000. We're going to raise that to $40,000. If you're 65 to 70, you had an exemption of 50000 We're going to raise 50000 to 75000 on 65 to 70. 70 and above, you can only have a $50,000 evaluation. We're raising that to 125000 And we're going to let you come in and lock that at 65 and over your bill to where it can't go up. And if it drops by any miracle, you can come out drop down and refreeze that tax bill to give you a little relief of knowing what your tax will be to put in your budget. The other part of that was you can only make $25,000 before you were penalized with income. We're raising that to 400000 to where it's going to cover almost everyone that we call a senior citizen including me and you if we lived in Jackson County. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you the funny story is, is I've been receiving disability because of my blindness for several years, you all know. Yes. And then I get a letter from the Social Security Administration in December saying that I will no longer be receiving disability as of January 2024. Mm. And, of course, you know, my wife says, well, you know, you're still blind from that standpoint, and I'm still right. working right. here, and I'll be keep working until the good Lord takes me home probably from that standpoint. But now they've reassessed me. Now I say I have, I've reached retirement age, so now it goes from disability to retirement, so I'm receiving retirement. So this right here, what you're saying, would help me be able to make more money without affecting my Social Security? That's right. That's right. It doesn't include your retirement money. It doesn't include your Social Security. Why would we – this is a question I asked uh-huh. everybody in Congress, everyone in our Senate, why do we pay taxes that we pay tax on called Social Security – the employer pays tax on, which I did with my companies, and now when it's time that you receive it, you have to pay tax on it again, and you can only make so much money, and we're giving people free money in Ukraine and everywhere else that has no strings really attached. Uh-huh. We're allowing people to come across the borders just by thousands, and we're putting them in the situation of we're, we're giving them so much money every month. And we penalize the people that have worked and built this com- this they, whole country. They said what then when you ask that question? Well, they'll pretty much say, well, you know, we, and they usually skirt away from it uh, and never will answer. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, but uh-huh. that's the po- political answers that kill me, even from the Republican side. Oh, yes. When people will give you that kind of runaround or buzzwords. Uh-huh. And I just ask me, I'm always going to be point straight. You know, point too, blank. You know that, yes. And uh, that's the that's the reason that I'm like that because I love to watch people do the, the shimmy and the squirm. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, if we can't correct that, we have we have allowed so many people that was on Social Security that uh, took care of themselves, didn't drive new cars, didn't live in the biggest, fanciest house. Now them. they're re- no, but now they're retired. And what is it? We tax them out of their home. Uh-huh. Is it because people want to? They want to have Taj Mahals everywhere they go. They want to have things that cost more money than others. All right. So tell me this: uh, something's going to affect your district now here in Hall County and in Jackson County. I would think in the future. Tell our listeners really your ideas about the new inland port, and it's going to be coming probably the next five years. You know, tell us about the, your ideas about it. Well, one of the things that's really going to be good about this whole networking process is. 
we have so many containers when you're at the port as mm-hmm. far as you can see they're stacked containers mm-hmm. off of boats on boats more land that we're developing to store them at and then every one of those containers has a tractor that comes and picks it up with wheels that takes it somewhere to another port to distribution centers and what this will do will bring from savannah charleston some of the areas up here and they will go on train so by rail they will be distributed throughout so we'll take a lot of the uh, tractor trailers off the road and we're still going to have tractor trailers everywhere because that's where we move almost all of our freight we will be increasing the rail system and they will be a bigger player and we can supposedly take it by rail cheaper when we have that many like these are stacked up four and five high so that's the uh the part of moving it and it should be five five six seven eight years depending hopefully it will not be like georgia power and just continuously Uh just be a thorn in our side this is going to be a lot of building when it comes to even adding rail lines right it will be there you know you have to look at when you build a road you you notice roads are not in a straight line. It would uh-huh. be nice, but you have a mountain in the way, and you have a, a, a lake, or you have water you have to cross. So when you do that, you have to look at the best route, and when you build, you have to be prepared where you're going to build bridges, where you're going to build the train tracks. And, well, you uh, can't just necessarily build it next door to what we got right now with like the, the Norfolk lines with the Crescent, that kind of thing, can you? You know, I think that, and that's an answer I really do not know 100% on. I think that, you know, there's certain things of routing the trains that they will move it next to it to where that way they will not have, con- you know, opportunity for train wreck mm-hmm. or, you know, something going wrong. But... Um, I really need to research that well, part. We, we've heard also, my big concern is, let's say from Interstate 95 to Exit 24 right here, going up 365 to the new inland port, the, the amount of traffic we're going to see there with trucks. We've already been told even what Kubota's going to have every day with 18 wheels. Are they going to be coming off these containers that don't go on rail that will be heading down 365-985, either heading your way on 129 to 85 or back down 985. That's my big concern. Well, we need to. Our biggest problem we've had in Hall County and lots of places in Georgia is infrastructure. Sure. If you do not, we, we went 30 years ago and we started building everything out in Flowery Branch with Spout Springs Road, a two-lane. Mm-hmm. Friendship was a two-lane, and we finally started adapting and widening Friendship uh, and we're still working now for seems like the last seven or eight years of uh, taking Spout Springs and widening that road. 365, 985 is going to be the main corridor that we're going to have to expand on because it's a nightmare driving on 985 and 365 with two lanes uh-huh. with all the traffic now. So that's going to be the biggest thing that we have to accomplish and that is in the works it's just are we going to see this changing and happening before we have the inland port coming to where now it's bumper to bumper and we're we're still putting the horse behind the car and you've got a place like Kubota you've got Lanier Tech and now you've got a new elementary school coming up with a thousand kids and people driving to me it's a, a really a disaster waiting if we don't do something well I agree I agree and and you know that process again 
I guess really I need to look into more of that to to have sufficient answers because uh-huh. I know there's a time frame. Russell McMurray is a good friend and a great person to have over our GDOT, and I guess that will be a good conversation for him and I to have uh, coming up in well, the next well, few weeks. Yeah, with GDOT, they've got plans for what, five years, ten years, 20 years down the road, don't they? They do, and, you know, he knows I'm going to ask the question every time we're in a large group, and he knows that I know the answer. A lot of people do not realize that when we pass something that's 25 years down the road, that's federal government. And federal government comes in and says we have to build a bridge, and it was approved, and there's X amount of dollars allotted for that bridge. Well, guess what? We should be building a two, not a two-lane, but a four-lane bridge. And what do we do? We build a two-lane bridge because it was approved and passed. Uh And then what happens by the time we get to building it is four times the cost it was projected at. So we build the bridge. We know that we need a bigger bridge. What do we do? We just wait 10 or 12 years, and then we try to correct the problem we should have corrected the first place. And that's the part of government that kills me is the uh-huh. decisions that we make, and it's at the federal level. Again, while we give money to everyone that hates us, and we continuously send money that we don't have that we should be spending on our country and our own helping our states. All right, right there, what role should the should have, it probably gets past tense now, the state of Georgia had in the Plant Vogel situation? You know, since I've been here, we were going to open Plant Vogel, and it was going to cost X amount of dollars. And we need Plant Vogel. That's obvious. We can't, we can't just throw it away and say, well, we, you know, we, right, we're going to stop right. after we spent all this money. But my biggest problem was the shareholders, they continuously made money mm-hmm. and uh, didn't have to put up the money that the taxpayer had to put up. And now we're going to look at increasing when three opened up that I think it was going to be $9 more a month. And then four opens up, it's going to be another $12 a month. Uh And now we start looking at who pays for it again. The same person that's on that fixed income. Yes, sir. The people that have put so much taxpayer money into Vogel. And, you know, it's calling it like it is. We have to have it because of the way we're growing but we have spent so much extra money. We have no, never came close to meeting our, our dates of each one being completed. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're talking about years, and we do not want to see that with the Inland Port. And with that final thing for you for this standpoint, uh, appreciate your time again here this morning, is what we see now. I go back, you know, I guess our grandparents saw the day of the REA back in the day, and now we're going to see this with the Internet. Yes. What were you saying about that? You know, we where my farm is out Bright Quarter Road, we have an old government hamster that gets in the wheel and he works ten minutes. He takes a fifty minute break, and that's about what we have DSL. And when when our system came through with COVID, everyone said, "Well, we'll just keep the kids at home," but they forgot. There wasn't Wi-Fi for all these kids to work from home. So I watched them come down the road on Bright Quarter, Holly Springs, all the way up toward Lula, Uh putting in fiber. And when they were putting in fiber, they were doing it for the colleges, but they weren't allowing everybody to jump on while they had it. Uh And then we have Stargate, which uh, Eli Musk has come out with. And you'll have certain people argue that that's not the best thing, but you could get in pretty cheap to get into it 
and I think governments held that back and and made that you know a little bit harder to to get on. So you know I keep saying that if fiber is our future in the next forty years, make it affordable. It it does it does. Make, but it, make, make it affordable for everybody to be able to to install it and then be able to use it. And that's why I just don't understand why it's so difficult. Well, we we do this. We charge one. We give like me the turtle or the hamster. But then I pay the same price at the person that has mega, mega everything in the city and around me. Yes, sir. And they have it that works. And it's, it's, it's handicapped when you're sitting here doing government work or mm-hmm. doing business work at your home and you're using Wi-Fi that, like I said, the wheel turns and it turns and it turns. And you have to drive down the road for it to click and go. Uh, our phone. I will always remember Doug Collins when he was representative to the Ninth District. He said his number one complaint his office has received, and it was just thousands of phone calls all the time, especially in your area, was was internet service. And, and That's right. It's like okay, well, we got to have it to be able to really compete. Well, and we have to. And and the governor has put millions of dollars in Jackson County, and coming in toward Hall County. Um, which is close to where our area is, and we're hoping that we will, in the next two years, start to where everybody will start to have it. But, you know, here's the argument. They'll say, okay, you own 85 acres, the guy next to you owns 400 acres, and there's a house, and there's a house. And then you go uh, 20 acres, and there's a house. And you go, and there's a house, a house, a house, but there are two acres. And then you go, and there's a another 180 acres for uh-huh. that house, and it's not feasible to put it for everybody as in a neighborhood when there's 300, 400, 500 houses. Uh-huh. My argument is you're making enough money on that three, four, five, seven hundred 700 houses that you should be able to distribute it, make it affordable for everybody by bringing that rate down mm-hmm. and giving everybody service and not just a few. And they'll just give you that kind of stare. Uh huh. But um, I don't understand that. If that's the point, you know. Give that's that. right. Hey, the final thing for I will ask you this one final question in, yes, in your sir. area there. What do you think the future is going to be for the battery plant there in Jackson County? Is, is you know, when we see another administration come in, maybe you know, if if a Republican becomes president, for example, are we going to see? EVs not be you know the mandate that we're seeing a lot of places in, in this battery plant you know, be extinct maybe in the future? Well, you know, that again is an argument that I have different than uh, than the governor, than a lot of people. EV, we cannot go 100% to electric vehicles. We have to look at what I believe is like Toyota hybrids, where you use a system that you have still gas, where we have more than what we're mining to make these batteries is cost costing a fortune to make them then how are we going to dispose of them so if i was running for president i would be putting the brakes on and we would be doing a little a lot less than what we're doing but we would still be working toward a goal of getting there and putting more ev vehicles out but we would still use a majority of our gas combustion uh engines and we would use hybrids and I understand the governor's ass, uh, idea that we will get more business in the state of Georgia was build all these plants from poor to commerce, that kind of thing. But then what's going to happen in the future with these communities if something happens? Well, and I, I, see, I see a big wreck because uh-huh. the minerals that it takes to build these batteries, the weight of the batteries are going to destroy our roads quicker. We're gonna, when, it, when it breaks down, 
what do we do? How do we know that we've tested it, that we can roll it up on a rollback? You have to have special tires for this vehicle. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that goes into it, and I'm not the guy that's in here saying we can't go that route. We just cannot put all our eggs in that one basket, and there's so many answers that we have not been answered on basically you know what we're we know just my concern moving. is you've seen plants in jackson county for example down that up and down 85 yes and you see thousands of people get jobs there and they move into jackson county and then all of a sudden they go out of business then what happens to the community then right we and i think that was um i'm trying to think of the um business that did close down there and i have it right on the tip of my tongue tiger i think direct yes Bingo, exactly um uh-huh. and what happened was you know you had people came in people went to work and uh and it just didn't happen they they shut doors and then people were without a job uh-huh. one of the things i would like to see here is if we're building warehouses like that that we have a front on the front of the warehouse where you could buy local from the warehouse uh-huh. and when i say that there's a thing called freeport tax well, we, we see nothing out of this Freeport tax until it leaves the state. Uh-huh. And that way you could have people come in and buy things. People could keep uh, these warehouses going with consumers, you know, benefiting also. But um, that's a great question because when Tiger went out, you know, you'll see we're building more and more and more warehouses. And a lot of our beautiful farmland in Pendergrass has become warehouses. Yes, sir. And... Uh, you know, a lot of them you look at, you think are going to be here because you have Amazon, you have Walmart, and everything's eventually coming to where you can just order it and have it delivered, mm-hmm. and they can scan it with all their inventory and have it sent to you in a day. We well, you know the sad part, is, and the scary part is, you mentioned farmland, is getting less and less, especially in South Georgia, because all of a sudden we're having these solar farms that That's take right. place. And, and, okay, well, we're going to have food in the future. Well, we're going to look, we're looking at that. We have two or three bills about the solar farms. They're coming in taking prime farmland. Yes. And there's other places that we can have them set up and buy. Um, we're also looking at when that that need is uh, expired, if it's 50 years, 60, 100 years, whatever, and they decide to, to move on, how they're going to bring that land back to make it where it, like it was. Um, and we have, you know, we're looking at rooftops. We're looking at all types of things to put solar that you can just tag on instead of taking a thousand acres and just putting solar there and let sheep roam around everywhere and mm-hmm. do the grass eating and uh, the maintenance. Uh, it still costs a good bit when something happens. You have so big a hail storms or whatever, you have a lot of damage. So there's things that uh, we're working on. Uh, another thing is. Uh, the right to farm bill. We, we've been working on that bill. We'll be working on making sure other countries can't come in here and buy all of our farmland. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have a problem with that. But the way we look at it is, you know, we we can't have other countries coming in. We can't go into China and buy what we would like to buy acreage in China. Um, but we're allowing other countries to come here and do like Mexico. We can't go into Mexico unless we're legal. They're coming here, and the Mexican uh, government's pushing them to come here. There's so many things that we have really missed the boat on. And when I say that, we've just we've allowed stupidity, is the easiest way to put it, on things we've allowed to happen in our country. 
and uh, we need to police it better. And expect everyone, and I could talk to him all day long here. I know he's got to go here, and I appreciate Amber Dunn, who's time this morning. Immigration is another big thing that's going to affect us. The thing about it is, buddy, you got a lot to do in a short time to do it that's in right. 40 days. That's right. So can you get it done? Well, put it this way. We always say that we used to say we throw it up in the air and some stick and some uh-huh. fall back down. But with it, there's certain things that I have to say in leadership. We have guidelines that we call these needs, and some are wants. And I think we will pass a lot of the needs we need. Of course, I'm still the guy that if we pass one bill, we should take two off the book. Uh, we, we shouldn't go down and have to pass 800 or 900 laws every year. But uh, hopefully we'll we'll learn from that, and uh, I think that we'll get some things done that we need to you, do. I don't say how you do that. I don't say how you read as much as you read. Well, my eyes have really gotten to the point to where, <laughs> you know, they're they're fatigued, and I hardly ever read books anymore. My wife will go on vacation. She'll read six books, 800 pages. I'll read one article that's seven pages and maybe ten articles the whole time I'm at the beach. And the reason is I read so much. And uh-huh. remember, attorneys are writing these bills, uh-huh. so you have to read it and then reread it to make sure where did they insert a shout or a comma or a may and what what was the intent of the bill before you got down to the sixth section. And then you started to say, wait a minute, that just changed this and this. And it's uh, it's something that really another thing I'm getting is tired of that, just continuously breaking down bills and i learned that instead of just reading every bill that everybody thinks is bad i wait until i know it's coming to committee when it goes to committee then it's going to be heard now i read that bill and i have people send me emails we have to stop this you have to not allow this you have to make sure well that bill's not going to be heard and you know i know most of those bills that they're worried about will not be heard sometimes they will tag a part of the bill in another bill which I believe all bills should stand alone on its own merit. And you don't tag, you know, uh, all types of uh-huh. ornaments on the Christmas tree there. But, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting. But it's something that I'm getting more and more tired of, uh, sitting down for hours and just reading and marking up bills. All right. Thanks for all your time. I appreciate it very well, much. Well, thank you, service. my friend, always, and uh, Happy New Year to happy you. Happy New Year, too. Thanks again to Emory Donahue, Jr., being our guest this morning on Community Focus. The General Assembly session begins on Monday. We'll tell you all about it right here on 97.5 Glory FM and online at WGTJRadio.com.